Dear Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, this is the time that we have set aside for the worship of the God of the Bible. Lord, we ask that we would be able to worship you in our songs. We pray that we would worship you through the special music this morning, Lord, through the preaching. And Lord, most of all, we pray for the time that we call the time of invitation. To time where we've allotted to make decisions based upon the preaching of your word. And we ask that there would be true and honest and biblical decisions made in that time that would change the way we live through this coming week. We come before you and ask you to work in our hearts that we may bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please remain, if you would, and turn to the book of Romans, chapter 8. We're going to look at somewhat of a familiar passage this morning, but um, I want to let you know we have started a series on Sunday mornings, but I'm not going to give you the title of the series until we get to the last sermon in the series, and uh, because I don't want it to distract from the message. Uh, the first... Uh, sermon last Sunday morning was on Bible salvation. Salvation is everything. Without salvation, without that issue settled in your life, nothing else matters. Uh, I, I've always wondered about uh, those that believe in a progressive salvation or uh, a works-based salvation, something that you eventually obtain someday why every living moment is not absorbed in trying to earn or get that salvation. Uh, if, if salvation, and it's not, but if salvation were something that you could obtain through the things that you do, don't you think that would have to be priority one in your life? Jesus said, if a man were to gain the entire world and lose their own soul, they're still the loser. And yet, it's an amazing fact to me that most of these people, most people who believe in a progressive salvation, by that I mean you get saved a little bit at a time over a period of years, and finally, hopefully someday, you, you will have achieved, but... I've never met one person who could tell me when they have achieved number one. Uh, I've never met a person who could tell me how much good was good enough. And, And that's simply because God never intended salvation to be that way. He did it all. That's why it says behind me, it is finished. Because that's what Jesus did. In the armor of God, it talks about the helmet of salvation. That is the knowledge of salvation. You will know if you've ever doubted your salvation or had a period where you were questioning what was going on in your life. Everything was messed up, wasn't it? But it's the assurance that God has saved me and that he is keeping me saved. 
that allows me to think and concentrate and work and understand what's going on around me. This morning, the subject I would like to cover is prayer. You see, there's quite a struggle that often goes on in lives before we get saved. How many of you got saved the first time you heard the gospel? You just got saved and it's been wonderful ever since. Now, I've met a few people who've given that testimony, but very few. Most people I know have gone through a a process of examining themselves and finally coming to a realization of their sin and understanding what Jesus did, that truly it is finished if we'll just trust in Him and claim Him. But I want to challenge you as we look at our text this morning that we're going to find out that the struggle doesn't end when you get saved. Yes, the struggle of your salvation is over. But now there's a struggle to learn how to serve Christ. And I believe that one of the most misunderstood parts of our relationship with God is this thing called prayer. Uh, Let me get a few negative things out of the way, and then we'll read the good stuff. Uh, Has anyone here ever read uh, uh, Frank Peretti's novels on the piercing, the darkness? Anybody know that? He was very popular about 25 years ago. Uh, If you've ever had the unprivileged of reading one of those stupid books, I'm sorry. Uh, There's no way else to describe it because he, he portrays a God who is in heaven and wants to do right, but he can't do it unless people are praying. I want to challenge you, that God is not the God of the Bible. God does not need your prayers to get accomplished what he wants to accomplish. I've heard many things on prayer over the years, and and I believe most of it is not quite where it ought to be. Your prayers do not empower God. They do not move God. They do not change His mind. They do not help Him. I hope that as we go through the text this morning, you're going to find out that God wants your prayers for a different reason altogether. God has designed prayer. And may I just say at the very beginning that the highest thing that a Christian can obtain, the the highest duty that a Christian can perform in their relationship with God is true, biblical, God-honoring prayer. It is it's something that needs to happen. And, and I want to challenge us. I challenge myself. Somebody says, Pastor, when you preach, I feel like I need to hit the altar and get things right with God. Well, that's what I do during the week while I'm preparing the messages. Amen? Uh, because I'm a human being just like you are. And we struggle with this thing called prayer. I I met some of the most, quote-unquote, praying-est people in my life. And and I I remember, and when when you think of someone that's godly, I I just think of these people that, that prayed and prayed and prayed. But when you 
take the camera, focus out on the big picture. Seems like just something was missing. Nothing was getting done. But there sure was a whole lot of what is called praying going on. You see, we're going to have to really fasten our seatbelts this morning, get strapped in, or this sermon is going to sound very confusing to you. You see, we understand that God wants to answer prayer. We understand that God wants us to pray. But you don't get reading your Bible very far and you understand that God puts some conditions on prayer. Does He not? God does not hear the prayers of sinners. Now, let's understand this. God hears every prayer that is ever uttered to every God because He's God. He's everywhere present. But when we talk about hearing in this sense, we're talking about hearing and answering. Do you realize that you, in an unsaved state, may actually pray for something that God wants to do and it may seem like God is answering your prayer when He's totally ignoring you? Hello? Nod your head up and down if I said that right enough for you to understand. If, you, if I didn't, go like this and we'll go over again. Amen? Someone said, uh, we were talking about some well-known TV preacher. said, well, they're not wrong about everything. And my rejoinder was, the devil's not wrong about everything. What does that prove? What, what we want, what I hope you want, is a real worship relationship with the living God. Could we say amen to that? And you can't get there without prayer. If you have unconfessed sin, Psalm 66, 18 said, If I regard iniquity in my heart, you're not going to hear my prayers. If you're married, read 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. It says, If you don't dwell with your wife according to knowledge, if there is strife in your home, it says that your prayers be not hindered. If you don't have things right in your home, husband, if things aren't right in your home, wife, your prayers are going to be hindered. That's scary stuff now, isn't it? Read James chapter 4. Now, let's be honest this morning. How many of you have ever prayed a selfish prayer? Hmm? Well, God's under an obligation not to answer that prayer. Not to listen to it. Amen? But read the story of Hezekiah. Sometimes God does answer selfish prayers. But it's always to our hurt. In fact, Hezekiah's next Sunday morning Sunday school lesson. So if you come early, you'll find out what I'm talking about if you don't know. Amen? That's at 10.30. So we look through here, and of course... We all have heard somewhere or another what this thing that is called the Lord's Prayer. 
Our Father which art in heaven. And by the way, study your Bible. Study Matthew chapter 6. What's in Matthew chapter 6 is not what people repeat as the Lord's Prayer. There's some very strange differences in there. And said, where in the world did that come from? I've done a little research on it. And the best I can tell was some medieval monk rewrote the Bible and everybody began quoting the monk instead of the Scripture. Uh, Let's never make that mistake. And by the way, repeating the Lord's Prayer is not prayer. I remember years ago, my father-in-law took a church that was not really uh, a strong Baptist church at all. It was quite a mess, and his intention was to hope to turn it around. And and they repeated the Lord's Prayer uh, every Sunday as part of their service. And he tried to preach to them and explain to them that repeating the Lord's Prayer is not prayer. And one of the members said, they took prayer out of the public schools and now the preacher's taking prayer out of the church. Really happened? No. He was taking fake prayer out of the church so there'd be a place for the real one. You see, the Lord's Prayer is our pattern. Jesus said, after this manner, pray ye. Um, the best illustration, and I hope you don't mind hearing it again. If I, you called up and I said, listen, I'll email you directions to the church. And uh, so I gave you directions on how to drive to the church. And, and uh, you could sit there and read that email all day. And guess what? You haven't gotten out of the seat that you're sitting in to read the email. That's what repeating the Lord's Prayer is. If you're going to do something, you've got to get up out of the seat. And you've got to go get in your car or go buy a subway card. And you've got to live those directions. Otherwise, they're not going to do you any good. See, that's what it means after this manner, therefore, pray. Don't repeat the Lord's Prayer. It's the ingredient book. It tells you what things you need to put in your prayers. But prayer is always in the Scripture. It is God's Word that affects your heart that is reflected back to God. That's true prayer. That's why it starts out with our Father, which are, which are in heaven. If you don't have a relationship with God, the word our, Father, the right one. By the way, there is only one, not many. And we pray to God the Father. Now, I want us to take our Bibles, if we would, and start in verse 23 of Romans chapter 8, verse 23. And it says, And not only they, verse 22 is all creation, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? 
But if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. He that searcheth the heart knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren." Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them also, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, this passage that we just read is just full of statements people love to take out, and I mean... How, 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 could, how could you not preach a whole sermon on if God be for us, who can be against us? I mean, when we're talking about the redemptive power of God, who could not preach a whole 45, 50 minutes on who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Uh, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Amen. Uh, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. And we know that all things work together for good. How many times have you heard those verses, those phrases? They all come from this passage. And what I'd like for us to do is is put this in the context in which the Apostle Paul gave it to us. You see, the first part of this chapter is talking about salvation. There is therefore now no condemnation. We get that we sing that there with joy, joy, joy. That's Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. And, and, and we come down to verse 23, and he's just done explaining in verse 22 the struggle that is in creation because of sin. Sin only brings suffering and death. 
you, you look at what God calls sin. He calls it sin for a reason. You cannot accomplish anything good by doing anything the Bible calls sin. You, you can't do it. So, but, but I didn't want to offend them, so I told a little white lie. Well, what happened when they found out that you told a lie? Weren't they offended anyway? And they were probably offended more because you told a lie than if you had just told the truth. Amen? You can't accomplish anything good by doing something wrong. It does not, cannot, because of the character and person of God. That's the problem with what we call situation ethics. Where the situation, or today I guess what we uh, rightfully have moved to is societal ethics. Where we take a poll and the majority of people decide what is right and what is wrong. Uh, I want to challenge you that God has already decided what the difference is. He's already made some lists in this book. And you don't have to worry about it or try to figure it out on your own. What you simply need to do is get involved in the struggle. Because you have this thing called the flesh that lives inside of you, the sin nature. And it, by nature, wants to do that which is called sin by God. And I've had... People over the years say, Pastor, I, I don't think I can live that way. I don't think I can live in that constant struggle. I, I, I just want to be able to enjoy life. Well, let me tell you how you enjoy life. You enjoy life by winning the struggle. By getting victory over those things that used to knock you down. By understanding that the power of God wants to change you. Peter put it this way. But growing grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. There's a struggle that is involved. And we look here in verse 24. It says, for ye are, we are, I'm sorry, we are saved by hope. Now, what are we hoping for? We are hoping for the end of verse 23, the redemption of the body. As you get older, if you're not there yet, you're going to find out as you age, things don't work the way they used to. Uh, it's just not as easy to convince uh, that body to get out of bed in the morning at 50 as it was at 15. Uh, things change. There is a struggle. But if you want to win that struggle, build some godly habits. And as you get older, there there is this thing called autopilot where you just start doing those things. Amen? And, and God wants us to do that. But this isn't heaven. It's funny, you meet people passing out tracts. Oh, I don't need that. I believe heaven's right here on earth. 
And I'm sitting there going, dumb, 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 dumb. How, how in the world? One of the first people I, I met, we were, I was stand, in, in Astoria, Long Island City area. I was standing in line at Staples trying to get some tracks printed. Back in those days, we just did black and white copies and folded them at home because that's all we could afford. Praise God, we don't do that now. But I got in line behind a guy and he looked at my, uh, my master copy there and he says, ah, religious guy, huh? He says, we're building Utopia on Roosevelt Island. Now, that was 22 years ago. I don't think it's working, friend. I mean, they've cleaned up the trash since Giuliani and cleaned up the crime over the last several... But I don't know any sensible person that would claim Roosevelt Island is utopia. Anybody like to argue that point? You see, I'm waiting for heaven. The funny thing is, you can pass out a track to somebody, the next person down the line, I believe hell's right here on earth. You know, we just live in a world of confused people. Because if you read the Bible, heaven's a whole lot better than this place. And hell's a whole lot worse. Every once in a while, somebody says, I went through. I said, no, you did not. Because once you get there, you never get out, my friend. You, you may think that you went through a difficult time, but you didn't go through hell. That's not possible. You see, we have a hope that is set before us. That one day, we will stand on heaven's glad shore with our Savior, Jesus Christ the resurrected Lord. And the only reason we have a right to stand there is because it is finished. But you see, God has left that for us for a hope. Because I challenge you, if you could see past this veil of tears in which we live, if you could gain a glimpse of heaven's shore and the true glory of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that you wouldn't be able to do anything except wish you were there. Now, God doesn't want you to not do anything but wish you were there. He wants you to serve Him while you're here. So, He's given us this thing called hope. And this is what we struggle against as we struggle against the flesh and the world in which we live here. And we get here to verse 26, and it starts talking about prayer immediately. Why? Because prayer is the essence of your relationship with God. If we want to boil down prayer to its most simple point, prayer is talking to God. That's all it is. Have you ever had a relationship with a person and the only thing that they would do was give you instruction and direction. 
They would never have any meaningful conversation. They wouldn't listen to you say anything. I mean, there's some bosses that are like this. Uh, they got one thing in mind. They want the job done. They want you to do it. And they don't really care about anything or anyone else. Have you ever met anybody like that? How many say, I hope I never do? But oftentimes we treat God like that. That if he were the mean, uh, tyrannical boss, it just, all the Bible says is don't do this and don't do that. Do this, do that. Well, no, that's not the God of the Bible, my friend. The God of the Bible wants two-way conversation. He speaks to you through the written word that's right here. You say, but preacher, I hear other things. Tune them out, please. Do yourself a favor. I don't want to make light. Every time you talk about that, you, people, people laugh and smirk. Let me tell you something. There are many, many voices in this world. And if you're not careful, you can get tuned in to the wrong channels and listen and hear things and be influenced by things that God never intended you to hear or be influenced by. If you ever meet someone and says, well, I hear voices, you you try to pray with them and, and get them to someone that will take this book called the Bible and show them how to drown them out with the voice of God. That's the answer, my friend. You see, prayer is two-way conversation because God wants to have a love relationship with you because God is love. And if we skip ahead in this sermon, in case we don't get time to finish it all this morning, who shall separate us from the love of God? That's, that's what it's all about. That's the overriding theme of this passage. But we get into this verse right here. We're saved by hope because that hope is set before us. If we could see it, if we could understand what God has set before us, then we'd have nothing left to hope for or to live for. But while we're here, we are groaning and waiting for that redemption of our body, that consummation of our faith. But until we get there, likewise, likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. Now, how many of you have an infirmity? Would you just raise your hand? Uh, I mean, most of us do. If you're alive, and uh, you may have infirmities you don't know about. An infirmity is a weakness, a sickness, something missing, something that doesn't work. That's an infirmity. It slows down your process. Here's your greatest infirmity, my friend, if you're saved. If you're not saved, your greatest infirmity is sin. Only the blood of Jesus can cleanse it. Once you're saved, your greatest infirmity is, read it here, Likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. That is your greatest infirmity. That is your greatest weakness. That is your greatest problem that you face. We don't know how to pray as we should. Now, I'm not trying to 
to be rude this morning, and I'm not trying to pick on people here, but sometimes we say, well, can you give me some details so I can pray intelligently? Could I challenge you? Don't do that. Because the more you know about a situation and how people think, the more your mind begins to try to figure out how God ought to answer that prayer, and you will always be wrong. We don't know how to pray as we ought. And we need to be careful we don't take the cop out. The Lord's will be done. Well, that's what God wants to happen anyway. But what He wants to do is He wants to show you His will so you can pray for His will so that God can do His will will, and you will think it's an answer to your prayers, because it is. And that's where you get the joy that Jesus speaks about in John chapter 16. We've got to be careful. There's more than one prayer meeting that's fallen into a gossip session. That's not what this verse is talking about. You know, the best way that I can pray for you is there are certain things... Well, let's, let's move on. It says, we know not how to pray for as we ought. I'll tell you, I struggle with that. Because I know, I know some of the things that Obama and our senators and our congressmen and our mayor and, and our governor, I know some things that they ought to do that they have no intention of ever doing even somebody put a gun to their head. Isn't that true? I mean, they're not doing right. When our senator claims one of her life's greatest accomplishment is promoting abortion rights, that was an ad on WCBS for Women's Working Breakfast. Senator Gillibrand was the speaker trumpeting her accomplishments in women's rights in the promotion of the murder of unborn children. Hey, you know, I know that's wrong. And there's a part of me that'd like to pray, fire and brimstone. But what did Jesus tell James and John? He said, you know not what spirit you are of. You see, the Samaritans had refused to receive Jesus as he was on his way to Jerusalem. And James and John said, shouldn't we pray that fire comes down and burns these rotten sinners up? Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're of. That's not what I'm about. We don't know how to pray as we ought. You see, God has chosen something. And over the years, if I've made anything that a mistake or or a weakness in my preaching that I would like to correct, it's simply this. I've not put enough emphasis on the fact that when the preacher preaches God's Word, you'd better do something about it. We have too many people that just sit and do the same thing week after week year after year, 
The Bible says we've got to do something about it. We've got to change. We've got to. If you're sitting here today and you're not saved, would you please get saved today? Would you call upon the Lord as your Savior? If you're here today and you're not baptized, would you submit to biblical, scriptural baptism and just get it over with? Why? Because the Bible says so. You see, we go through this passage, it's, it's the context of preaching God's Word that teaches us how we ought to pray. It is preaching that God has used to explain this book. And once you understand this book, or until you understand this book, you certainly aren't going to have a clue as to what to pray for. Are we still together this morning? You see, it's the Spirit itself that maketh intercession for us. Now, we take that last phrase, and this is one of the most perverted phrases in your Bible, with groanings which cannot be uttered. You see, about 1906, in San Francisco, at a spiritist meeting. Now, how many people know what spiritists are? Those are your fortune tellers, your tarot card readers. Uh, those are the people that your pastor warns you to stay away from because there is a reality to what they do, but it's not of God. And in that spiritist meeting, they had a revival and they began to experience what is rightfully called ecstatic utterances, where they would babble incoherently. Well, some Christians got a hold of that thing and they said, oh no, this is the rebirth of speaking in tongues. And that is the beginning, and you can say I'm wrong, but that is the historical beginning of the modern charismatic movement. That's where it began. You can't change it. In fact, you'll hear different people talk about the spirit of Azusa. How many of you have heard that phrase? Uh, that's the name of the street on which the Spiritist meeting was happening in 1906. I have books from the founding of the charismatic movement, and they say some pretty incredible things. They say, with God re-giving us the... The, the, uh, the gift of tongues, we'll be able to send missionaries into all the world without ever having to send them to language school. Now, I want to challenge you, if God truly had re-given the uh, gift of speaking in tongues, that statement would be perfectly biblical. But reality tells us that is not happening. Nor has it ever happened. Nor will it happen. And the reason I bring all that up is because that is the classic understanding of this speaking in, uh, with groanings which cannot be uttered. Number one, read your Bible. Who makes the groanings? Read it carefully. Look at the verse. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Okay? So, you're not making the utterances the Holy Spirit is. 
And that phrase, which cannot be uttered, and I've had this conversation more than one person over the years, and they said, well, it's the Spirit in me making those... Well, listen, if you cannot utter them, it wouldn't make it wouldn't make a difference how loud the Holy Spirit was. You wouldn't hear it because it cannot be formed with human vocal cords. That's what cannot be uttered means. It is not capable of the human form making these sounds. This is direct communication between the Holy Spirit of God and the God of heaven. It has nothing to do with you because you're messed up and don't know how to pray as you ought to. The Holy Spirit has to do it in your place, and He does it in such a way that you can't get involved and mess it up. That's what that verse means. And prayer is talking to God. But I don't know how to talk to God as I, sh- as I should. I don't know how to pray as I ought. If I think I've got a situation figured out and I know what I ought to pray for so that God will work according to uh, His will, and God does something different, guess who's wrong? Me. So I'd like to challenge you, first of all, you know what happens to most of your prayers? They go through... A Holy Spirit retranslation. He takes what you give to God as prayer and He fixes it. I would dare say that most of our prayers that we pray have to be fixed, have to be changed in such a way that we could have absolutely nothing to do with the finished product. Amen? You see, let's look at the next verse. It says, And he that searches the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we... Okay, well, let me not get ahead here. The Holy Spirit searches the hearts. How many of you would admit today to being sincerely wrong in your prayers to God at several different points in your life where I truly believe that what I was praying for and then God convicted you that what you were praying for was not what he wanted you to pray for. If you've had that experience, would you just lift your hand as a testimony? Mine's the first one up. Okay? You've got to let the Holy Spirit search the heart. Now, be careful. There's an awful lot that goes on for heart searching today that has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit of God. It's not this introspective thing where I look inside of me and try to figure out what's, what's really going on, get in touch with the cosmic oneness, be in harmony with nature. Those are the catchphrases. But let me tell you, Christians borrow an awful lot from the mystics. Let me tell you how you can know the Holy Spirit searching your heart. He convicts you of sin. That's number one. 
by the way, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and the truth dwelleth not in us. God can't hear your prayer with sin in your life. So he's got to start there. God wants us because, see, the Holy Spirit can search us and He can know what we're thinking even when we have put on our spiritual blinders and refused to accept the truth about our own self. The Holy Spirit still knows what's true. And He also has the advantage of being God. And so He knows what God wants to do. And this translation process is the Holy Spirit taking our wrong ideas and wrong understandings and misconceptions and sinful, selfish desires and trying to, well, not trying, and transforming them to something that God can answer. You know, if God answered some of your prayers according to His will, it would make you angry at God. Isn't that true? I told you you're going to have to strap in tight. We're not done yet. It's got a good ending. But see, if we're going to pray as we ought, we have to understand some things. It's the Holy Spirit that searches our heart. And that's where that next verse comes in. And we know that all things work together for good. You see... When something bad happens, invariably, I've done it myself, uh, something bad happens, some reversal that happens, some terrible tragedy in our minds, in our eyes, we immediately go to this verse and we know that all things work together for good. Well, wait a minute, let's put it in context. The context is the Holy Spirit is searching our hearts and trying to Get our human heart lined up with God's will. That's what the psalmist meant in Psalm 37 when he said, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. You've got to let the Holy Spirit convict you and move you and change you. And by the way, the Holy Spirit will never tell you anything that isn't written now, he, is, he limits his work to the written Word of God. Someone said, well, well, didn't the Holy Spirit give you direction to move to Astoria? There's no verse in the Bible. You mean you said you were called to preach? Yes. But all the direction that I ever received was what was written down. You see, the Apostle Paul talked about going to places where nobody was. There was no independent Baptist church in Astoria, nor had there really ever been. And that's why we came here. That's why Brother Mike is struggling in Greenpoint right now. Actually, there were good churches in Greenpoint at one time. It's been a long time. And so, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. How do we know that we love God?
by keeping His commandments. Isn't that true? Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. You read 1 John, how do I love others? It says, hereby do we know that we love the children of God when we keep His You see, I can't love Jesus without loving you. And the reason I don't love people is because there's something wrong between me and Jesus. And the way to solve that problem is prayer. Amen? And so, we look here, and it says that He has called us according to His purpose. And His purpose in verse 29, For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. Here is God's plan. God wants to conform you and I to the image of Jesus Christ. Could I challenge you that did happen in Acts chapter 11 when it says, and they were first called Christians at Antioch? That those people had been so conformed to the image of Christ that the society in which they lived in trying to define them and understand who these people were said, you're just like, you, you follow the teachings of that guy, Jesus Christ. Years ago, I had a guy come up to me and he says, you don't, you don't believe in, in the goodness of man. And I said, I absolutely don't. He said, but, don't you give credence to other great men in their books? I said, no. He said, you put too much emphasis on the Bible. I'm leaving this church. And I said, if there's a reason to leave, you've got the best one I've ever heard of. Resignation accepted. That's all we are about here. And if you don't want to be about that, you're not going to be comfortable here. God wants to conform us to the image of His Son. Now, here is the thing that I want you to think about for this sermon. If you don't get anything else, I want you to think about this. Prayer is what we're talking about. Being conformed to the image of His Son. The Garden of Gethsemane. That's what I want you to think about. Why did Jesus Christ, who is God, spend three hours in the Garden of Gethsemane praying just before He was betrayed and started the sufferings that led to the cross? I want to challenge you this morning that prayer is the tool that God uses to conform you and I to the image of His Son. And Jesus gave us a living example of that confirmation. He is the image. He is the living Son of God. He is the one we are trying to be conformed to. He is our example. He was not praying because His flesh was weak and He was trying to hold His flesh together to obey the Spirit. He was praying for three hours in the Garden of Gethsemane because I believe that he wanted to be the living illustration of this passage right here. And this passage explains why Jesus did what he did in the Garden 
and what it's going to take for you and I to be conformed to the image of His Son. There was some anguish in the garden, was there not? How many of you have ever experienced real anguish in prayer? That the Holy Spirit of God was moving you to pray in such a way that it was not just some emotional hype, but it was that real wrenching spiritual work that was changing you, conforming you to the image of His Son. You see, we know that all things work together for good. Why? Because God wants to change us from who and what we are to the image of Jesus Christ so that when the world looks at us, they no longer see us, but they see Christ. And see, I can have a confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ if I am doing His will that He, verse 31, if God be for us, who can be against us? God will accomplish His will with my life. That's His plan. But if I don't get a hold of this thing called prayer... I'm never going to get there because God will not use me. He will give you everything you need. It is a fearful thing to see a child born in these days and times, is it not? Look down into that little face. And they have no idea what's going on in the world around them. But I want to challenge you. That is, mom and dad, and as a church, if we'll get serious, if, uh, not serious, I'm sorry, that's the wrong word. We get serious about a lot of things that aren't biblical. If we'll just get biblical about what prayer is supposed to do, that's the hope for these little children. That's the only hope for these little children. Could we say amen to that? You see, even in my service for God and in trying to do things for God, I'm still going to do wrong things. That's why the next passage talks about who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect. We cannot be separated from the love of God. And even in my death... If I die doing the things that God wants me to be, I am not a martyr. I am not a victim. I am a conqueror according to the passage we just read. Amen? I mean, we're much more familiar with that part of the passage than the parts that we've spent our main time on this morning. I want you to think about something. Prayer cannot change God. For God cannot be changed. Prayer does not empower God. Prayer does not move God. True biblical prayer moves us to a place where God can do what He wanted to do. 
in answer to our prayers so that he gets glory all the way around. Do you see that? Prayer moves me. Prayer changes me. Prayer is the tool that God uses to chip away at my soul. So that when people look at the outside, they can see the image of Christ. Now, this sermon this morning is for people who are saved. You cannot find anything that I'm talking about today until you get the issue of salvation settled first. Then once you have salvation settled, could I, could I challenge you to enjoin the struggle against yourself, against the world, against all the vain philosophies, against all the wrong ideas, against all the voices that are in this world. To embrace the words of this book and allow the Holy Spirit to search that heart. To surrender my prayer life and my understanding to the Holy Spirit of God. See, this thing of prayer is directed to God the Father alone, no one else. Don't pray to Jesus and don't pray to the Holy Spirit. You pray to God the Father. You are to pray in Jesus' name. Now, what that simply means is you are to pray for what Jesus would be praying for if he were standing in your shoes. Say, I don't think I know that. Oh, let's go back to to verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also itself. You see, it's the Holy Spirit that will teach us these things and will conform our thought process in our heart. But we've got to go through the struggle to let that search happen. So that when we really pray, we really pray. There's a lot of things that hinder prayer. But there's only one thing that makes prayer. That is the Holy Spirit of God ministering the Word of God to your heart. So that you have something to say to God. That makes sense to God. Are we still together? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. Lord, I, I pray this morning that this sermon would not be confusing. Lord, there is so much confusion in the world in which we live. And we're trying to attack that confusion right here by using Your Word. 
I pray that the Holy Spirit would give us freedom to see past the mist and, the, and, and all of the babble of the world. Not to search for some strange experience. But to search for conformity to the image of your Son. Conformity to the words of God. Lord, that in our prayers we would not try to instruct you or give you direction. But Lord, that when we pray that we would have enough direction to know what your word says and to pray according to the will of God through the Holy Spirit of God. And Lord, we're so glad that when we fail at this, which we often do, the Holy Spirit is there to fix it. And to change it so that it can be acceptable to you. Lord, I pray that each person who is here today that is saved would not just let this sermon pass, but they would think about it. And they would reread the passages and they would let God's Word and the Holy Spirit of God Do His work. Lord, that You'd be able to chip away at those things in our soul that are not conformed to the image of Your Son. And Lord, as Jesus prayed in the garden, so we would learn to pray. That we would be able to pray in such a way as to know the will of God that we might bring glory to Your name. That we might show this world in which we live a glimpse of the true love of the true God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. The hymn of...